I greet you all in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and I welcome all of us to church this morning. If you are here, either online or on-site, you are warmly welcome to this morning service. This is still a family month, and we are continuing with the theme of the month. I want to thank God for the opportunity to be here. And uh, I would like to pray before we continue. Our dear Lord, we want to thank you for the privilege of this morning. We want to thank you for bringing us here. You woke us up, you helped us, you enabled us to get ready and be here this morning. We are grateful for this privilege. Our Lord, we thank you also, Lord, for what you have been speaking to us from the songs, from the prayers, the way you have been communicating to us, Lord, we thank you. And we thank you for this very moment. We thank you because you want to speak to us. Holy Spirit, please speak to us. Holy Spirit, please help us to listen. Holy Spirit, please help us to obey you. Thank you, Lord, for hearing us. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Pray that that will be what you are saying will be the reality with your neighbor. Say to your neighbor, be faithful. All right. Today, like I said, we are going to continue on the, on the passage. As some of us know, my wife and I did um, the first Bible study jointly together. That was the first time we are doing that kind in this church. We've done it in a couple of other places, uh, you know, some joint uh, things like that. Uh, but we are doing it for the first time in the church, and we got good feedback. And you know, you know, we're happy when you get good feedback. I think that that feedback was trying to enter my head. Because I began to think, okay, maybe let me do something different during this, uh, you know, morning worship, the way I will present the message and all that. But as I thought about it, and I tinkered with different things I could do, I remembered a new pastor that came to, you know, to a new church and was trying to do his best to impress his congregation. So he got in, and uh, he had prepared his message well, but he decided to leave his outline because he wanted to speak like, you know, I have mastered this thing very well. He didn't want to look like me, who usually from time to time read from my notes. And then so he got the stage. And all of a sudden, he went blank. He could only remember the topic of the message. And then he started walking around like I'm doing. And then he walked back and forth. And then his eyes said, okay, maybe let me begin to repeat, to tell the, the, the topic. Maybe the rest will flow. And it started, behold, I come. 
he turned round and paced round and went to another side. Behold, I come. And the third time, he said, no, nothing still, did, nothing still came. And he said, the third time, you know, he went to the edge and was going like this and said, behold, I, I, I come. And then he tumbled and fell on the person sitting in the front seat. And, you know, the pastor said, oh, sorry, sorry. He said, no, 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 pastor, it's not your fault. You told me you be coming three times, <laughs> you know. So when I remembered the, the, the story, I said, no, let me not try any new thing this morning. <laughs> let me follow the path that I'm used to. So I, I, I will read two of the passages this morning, and I will, I'm using New Living Translation. Okay, if, I, if I'm not doing anything new, at least I'm reading New Living Translation, right? I used to read New International Version. Is my reverend that uh, likes uh, New Living Translation a lot, Reverend Nodega. So I'll follow him today. So Jeremiah chapter 35 from verse 1 to 10, and we just add 18 and 19. So I'll read for us. Say, this is the message of the this is the message the Lord gave Jeremiah when Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, was king of Judah. Go to the settlement where the families of the Rechabites live and invite to the, to the Lord's temple. Invite them to the Lord's temple. Take them into one of the inner rooms and offer them some wine. So I went to see Zazania, son of Jeremiah, and grandson of Habazinia, and all his brothers and sons, representing all the Rechabites' families. I took them to the temple, and we went into the room assigned to the sons of Hanan, son of Igdalia, a man of God. This room was located next to the one used by the temple officials, directly above the room of Messiah, son of Shalom, the temple gatekeeper. I set cups and jugs of wine before them and invited them to have a drink, but they refused. No, they said, we don't drink wine because our ancestor, Jehonadab, son of Rechab, gave us this command. You and your descendants must never drink wine and do not build houses or plant crops or vineyards, but always live in tents. If you follow these commands, you will live good, long, good lives in the land. So we have obeyed him in all these things. We have never had a drink of wine to this day nor have our wives, our sons, and all our daughters. We haven't built houses or owned vineyards or farms or planted crops. We have lived in tents and have fully obeyed all the commands of Jehonadab, our ancestor. Let's go to 18. Then Jeremiah turned to the Rechabites and said, This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. 
You have obeyed your ancestor, Jonadab, in every respect, following all his instructions. Therefore, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. Jonadab, son of Rechab, will always have descendants who serve me. Amen. Now, that's the story. And, you know, we've heard about this story. We've talked about it over and over. Now, I'm going to another story. And I remember when uh, our brother Festus was praying, you know, and I said, oh, God, please answer his prayers that it will not be said of us that those who are outside are doing the right things while those of us who are inside are not. Particularly as we talk about the family mourn and about obedience. Malachi chapter 2 from verse 10 to 16. So we are reading seven verses from Malachi. Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 2, 10 to 16. Again, let's read the New Living Translation. Are we not all children of the same father? Are we not all created by the same God? Then why do we betray each other, violating the covenant of our ancestors? Judah has been unfaithful and a detestable thing has been done in Israel and in Jerusalem. The men of Judah have defiled the Lord's beloved sanctuary by marrying women who worship idols. May the Lord cut off from the nation of Israel every last man who has done this, and yet brings an offering to the Lord of heaven's armies. Verse 13. Here is another thing you do. You cover the Lord's altar with tears, weeping and groaning because he pays no attention to your offerings and doesn't accept them with pleasure. You cry out, why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? I will tell you why. Because the Lord witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young but you have been unfaithful to her, though she remained your faithful partner, the wife of your marriage vows. Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and spirit, you are his. And what does he want? Godly children from your union. So guard your heart. Remain loyal to the wife of your youth. For I hate divorce says the Lord, the God of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So guard your heart. Do not be unfaithful to your wife. Now, these are two different passages, two different and opposite stories, but they have the same message. Same message. As I said, the previous speakers and teachers and preachers have talked about the Rechabites. The Rechabites were the Midianites. The Midianites 
uh, where Moses had run to and married the wife. So they are Moses' in-laws, actually. They had turned to Jehovah, those who came and joined the uh, people of Israel had turned to him. More or less, they had converted. They had abandoned their idols and gave themselves to God. But they remained faithful to what their ancestor told them because of the nature of their own trade. Even though they were not Israelites, they became part of God's people by faith. They remain faithful to their long dead ancestor, Mr. Jonadab, and kept his instructions even after he was long dead and even in a place that it was so attractive, looked like, what else? I mean, if you are in this kind of place, anything that is offered you here is sanctioned by God. But they remained faithful. They were dependable people. God was so pleased with them that he rewarded them. Now, the heading of that passage in the New Living Translation is the faithful Rechabites. Now, this other story, the second story recorded in Malachi 2 is, is different. It is a story of a people who were, what? Unfaithful. And the heading of that story is a call to faithfulness. So while one story is about a people who we are faithful, and the other story is about a people who we are unfaithful, the, the, the message is one. And what is the message? Be faithful. Be faithful. So this morning, we are going to consider the other story within the time that we have in more detail. And we'll divide it into two. First part is feel the pain. What did I say? Feel the pain. Now, if I say, tell your neighbor, feel the pain, you say, God forbid, right? <laughs> okay, but sometimes we need to feel the pain to do what we need to do. And the second part is what? Fulfill the purpose. Do what? Fulfill the purpose. So, feel the pain. Now, if you look at the second passage, that is Malachi chapter 2, and from verse 10 to 16, you saw that the chosen people of God, the Israelites, we are unfaithful. And they are being unfaithful because in just seven verses, seven, only seven verses, the word unfaithful occurs five times in NIV. In uh, the Living Translation, the New Living Translation is four times. And the fifth time is where they betray each other, which is also being unfaithful. Who we are they unfaithful to? Now, if you check this, you will see in verse 10, verse 11, verse 14, verse 15, verse 16, in NIV, the word unfaithful occurs. 
Who were they unfaithful to? First, they were unfaithful to their ancestors. You see it in verse 10. They disrespected or disregarded their ancestors. Their ancestors had given to them a covenant. That covenant is the Torah, the, the book, the, what they had at that time, what God handed over to them. Their ancestors handed over to them. They disrespected them, unlike the Rechabites. And they didn't do what God wanted them to do, even though it was even handed over to them through their ancestors. From there, things began to fall apart. The second set of people, um, they were unfaithful to one another. They were unfaithful to their ancestors. They were unfaithful to one another. Verse 10 again says, why do we, don't we have the same father, God? Is God not the one who created all of us? Was he not the one who chose us? So why are we doing this? Why are we betraying each other? Why are we unfaithful to one another? What would be your answer to the two questions that they asked there? Didn't, are we not children of the same father? Did not God create us? Of course, the answer was yes. God created them. They were children of God. They have the same ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, or Jacob. A family of the living God descended from Abraham. But they couldn't be trusted to keep their promises or fulfill their obligations to one another. Now imagine a society where people don't keep their words. You need to imagine, you need to go far. And we do all the praying, right? We do all the praying. We do everything. But from artisan to president, from teacher to student, father and child, we can't keep promises. They were unfaithful to their family, their spouses, their children, and so on. From verse 13, verse 12, first, verse 12 says, you know, they, 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 they didn't care. Some of them were just going marrying unbelievers, contrary to what God told them. And then 13 to 16 was the focus. They have forgotten their marriage vows. And marriage commitments, they were abusing their spouses physically and psychologically, issuing all kinds of threats to them. They had abandoned their obligations. The men here were the focus at this time. It could be women as well. You know, instead of being providers, protectors, and priests of their families, they had become something else. They had become terror. Some are even divorcing their wives, the wives of their youth. You know, they needed 
younger people. They didn't care about how their bad behaviors affected their wives, their children. They have made their homes too toxic for their children and spouses. And the last group is that, or the last person, is that they were unfaithful to God. They were unfaithful to God. You know, the people's unfaithfulness to their ancestors, their unfaithfulness to one another, their unfaithfulness to their families, first and foremost, is one, is unfaithfulness to God. But beside that, beside that, God has specifically told them, don't marry unbelievers. And by this time, they have the story already of Ahab and Jezebel, of Solomon and his many wives who turned his heart away from God, and all the things that could happen if they married unbelievers. But they did not care. They were unfaithful to God. The covenant that God gave to their ancestors to give them and teach them so that they would follow, they decided that they would not keep the covenants. Can you imagine that? Unfaithful community. And they are supposed to be a community of God's people. Who are the people feeling the pain? Did you notice the unhappy tone that runs through the entire passage? Did you notice it? If you read it and think about it carefully, you will see some unhappy tone. The first set of people were the men themselves. They were not happy. How do we know? Okay, read 13 to 14. He said, verse 13 says, here is another thing you do. You cover the Lord's altar with tears, weeping and groaning because he pays no attention to the offerings and doesn't accept them with pleasure. Are are these happy people? Weeping and groaning. They were weeping and groaning with tears. And these are men. I never saw my father wept once. Maybe he did it behind closed doors. These men were weeping and groaning. And why? Because God was rejecting their offerings, their prayers, their sacrifices. I wondered what they thought to be behaving like this. I don't know. Are we descended from there too? You know, we do all the prayers. We come to church. We go everywhere. You go to the shops. Prayers are happening in shops. Prayers are happening everywhere. But our lives are different. And pain continued because God was rejecting their prayer. It says, verse 14, you cry out, why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? And the Lord says, and why did God reject the spiritual practices he himself commanded? He said, they were unfaithful. In this particular situation, unfaithful to their spouses. 
They didn't want to do what God wanted them to do, but they wanted God to do what they are telling God to do. <laughs> Trying to make God in their own image. It's not the God of heaven. Not possible. The second set of people, the women were not happy. They are in pain. Why? They were experiencing the pain of broken promises. Their husbands had made wonderful vows to them and they wedded with celebrations and great expectations. Unfortunately, now their marriages and lives have become shattered dreams. Their men are not treating them well at, well at all. What are they doing to their wives? The Bible says they were unfaithful to their wives. They were not keeping their marriage vows. They were not showing affection to them. Instead of covering them with garment of protection, they were now covering them with garment of what? Violence. The garment of violence. That's what the Bible says. Well, it could be women, and I have seen, particularly in my time, I have seen, I have observed, where, on the other hand, you find some men in terrible situations because their wives had made the environment too toxic for them. Who else would not be happy? Of course. Children in that kind of environment wouldn't be happy. Would children be happy when daddy and mommy are quarreling and, and beating and fighting and all that, you know, would children be happy? No, they wouldn't be happy. When, you, when parents don't love each other, when they don't show affection to each other, when the words that come from them are very harsh, when the children don't see them laugh and joke and play, the place become too toxic for the children. So they can't be happy. Of course, which is contrary to what God wants. In verse 15, it says, God wants godly children, godly offspring from the union. So God himself is not happy. This is a difficult one to say, but he's not happy. Do you think that God will be happy to reject the prayers and sacrifices and offerings that we are being presented to him? No, he cannot. He wasn't happy. When God says, I hate, <laughs> you know, when you say hate, you know, that's not a happy word. He wasn't happy with the situation at all. He is faithful and he wants his children to em emulate him. Unfortunately, his children are unfaithful and so they are inflicting pain on themselves and on one another. He feels their pain because he is their father. Now, also think about God. Satan is his great enemy and the enemy of his people, right? 
Imagine your children taking instructions from your enemy and acting contrary to what you told them to do and following the instructions of your enemy. That's a tough place to be. So God feels pained. He feels our pain. The loving God joins himself to us and feels our pain. Now, the fact that God feels our pain, somehow, you know, in a way, as I was thinking over it, makes me feel better. Why? Because when I take my pains to God, I know he knows how it feels to feel pain. I don't know what your pain may be this morning. I don't know what your situation may be. It may be something that you have even cost for yourself. But God feels your pain. And you can go before him just as you are, naked, tell him about your pain. You won't, be, you won't surprise him. Don't try to use religious language when you are talking to your father. Tell him about your pain because he feels your pain. You know, as C.S. Lewis said in his book, The Four Loves, to love at all is to be vulnerable Love anything and your heart will be wronged and possibly broken. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Because God loves. God is vulnerable. He is, he is willing to listen to you. He is willing to listen to you when you express your pain to him. Now you need to feel the pain so that you begin to think, should I continue to cause this pain to the people in my relationships? The people that I relate with in different categories, particularly my family. I remember several years ago, um, this, the pastor mentor, Reverend Uta, said, you know, when he Whenever he thought of doing anything that wasn't the right thing, particularly when he's not thinking so hard about God, he will begin to think what pain he would cause his wife, what pain he would cause his children, what pain he would cause those who loved him, and so on. And then he will say, no, it is not worth it. Let me not do it. So it's good to feel pain. If you don't feel it, at least imagine what possible pain can be caused by your action. Because that will keep you in check. Feel the pain. But then be committed to fulfilling purpose. Our time is short. And we would do this very briefly.
particularly in the area of marriage, to fulfill purpose. What is God's purpose for marriage? If you look at from verse 14 to 15, one thing you will see is partnership. The wife, your faithful partner. Partnership. Partnership. Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? Partnership. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 to 11. The other is oneness. So they are not just just every other kind of partner. They are people that God has joined together to be one. And it's there in verse, in verse 15, which is a repetition of Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Say so this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. So oneness. And then godly children. He says, why one? Why? Why did God make, make you one? He says, because he wants godly children. This is very important in God's overall agenda. God wants to populate this earth with godly people. People who fear him and love him. People who love other people and want to serve them, people who will be sought, preventing the world from tastelessness and decay, people who will be light, showing others the way to the truth, the way to life. God wants godly children who will relate, walk, and walk in godly ways in this world. The salvation of the world hinges on God's people being faithful and dependable to fulfill God's purpose. How do we fulfill God's purpose for our marriage? How do you fulfill God's purpose for your marriage? The passage again in verse 14 to 16 one thing it says in that NLT say, guard your heart. Malachi 14 to 16. Two times the word the, the, the phrase guard your heart is used. Say guard your heart. God mentioned these phrases two times for emphasis. The heart is very important. It is the center of our being. And all that we do, good or evil, first originate from our hearts. The Lord said, the evil things that we say and do come from there. Unfaithfulness, divorce, violence, and so on come from there. And that is why we need to guard it. And if we are children of God, we have the spirit of God, we have the help of God to be able to guard our heart. We don't have enough time to, to dwell deeply into that, but it's important to note 
that is we should guard our heart. And a major part of guarding our heart is the intake of the word of God. That is what the Holy Spirit uses to renew our heart. The second thing is to align your own vision, family vision, with the purpose of God. What is the purpose of God? Partnership, oneness, godly offspring. Align your family vision. Anything else you are doing in the family that does not uh, incorporate this, you are completely out of God's purpose. And the last point is be faithful. This means turning to God and learning from him to be faithful to him because he's a faithful God himself. To be faithful to your family, to be faithful to the family of God, which is the church, and to people generally, wherever you are. Being faithful to God by being faithful in your marriage and family is foundational, and you need to prioritize it. Your marriage is a covenant relationship that God is also a part of. It's not just between you and your wife, and you need to keep the vows. Very important to keep the vows. In conclusion, I want to say at this point, I have spoken, I have said what I feel God wants me to share with us today. But I want you to just take your time now. Just a minute to ask God to speak to you personally. I pray that you don't live here without hearing God say to you one specific thing he wants you to start doing. He wants you to start doing in your family as a sign that you are faithful. You are learning to be faithful. You may be married. You may not be married. But I want you to speak to God. Ask God to help you feel the pain you are causing to people in your relationship. You may not know yourself. Ask God to help you to see the pain of your attitudes, of your words and actions. Either you are a spouse or a child or a parent or a sibling or someone living, you know, with someone, whether you are a, a, a friend or an employee or an employer, whatever you are, ask God. I want you to ask God to help you know specifically what you can do and begin to do today and begin to do tomorrow. Is it to confess and return to God something that you have done wrong? Is it to confess to your wife, to your husband, to your child, to your sibling? and make up for what you have done wrong? Is it to start a family altar? Is it to start reading your Bible? What is it that God wants you to do? Shall we pray? Our Lord, we come before you. We have heard you. And I pray for my brothers and sisters here. I pray, Lord God of heaven, that you will speak to them specifically. There might be people here 
who don't even know you as their Lord and Savior yet. Oh, Father, please, this morning, may they not live here without settling that with you. In Jesus' name, Lord. Lord, we pray that every one of us here, no matter where we are, we are not where we should be yet. We are on the way. Please, Lord, speak to each of us and tell us what we can do to take step further along the path that you want us to be. Father, please make us Christian people and give us Christian homes. In Jesus' name, amen.